Man, I love that new song. You like it? What a great way to start our time together today. Welcome this morning. My name's Chris. If we have not met, welcome to those of you who are here in person. Welcome to those of you who are watching or listening online. And uh, as we get started today, I just want to um, bring to mind some of the crazy miracles that we see Jesus do in his ministry. Uh, maybe bring to mind some of those things that, that, that uh, stick out to you. For me, some of those things are um, like Jairus's daughter, his young daughter who was sick and, and dying. And Jairus comes to Jesus and asks him to come to his house to, to heal his daughter. And, but by the time Jesus gets there, she had already died. And Jesus says, no, 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 she's, she's just sleeping. And he says, wake up and get up. And she does. And she comes back to life. I mean, if, if we were to see this, I mean, if only YouTube existed back then, like that would just be an incredible thing, right? Or what about the guy that was sitting by the pool called Bethesda, and he had been sitting there for, uh, for years and years and years, and, and Jesus comes by and says, hey, do you want to walk? And just grabs him and <laughs> lifts him up, and he walks away. I mean, these crazy miracles, Lazarus, Lazarus, who one of Jesus' best friends, and he gets word that Lazarus is sick and dying, and, and he's not able to get there in time. And so by the time he gets there, Lazarus had already been in the tomb for a few days. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And he comes out with all of his grave clothes on. I mean, just these incredible moments. I mean, have you ever wondered, like, what was going on in the people's minds who were watching these things? What stirs in your soul? As you hear about the, these stories, what stirs in your soul? Perhaps... There's some awe and some wonder that, man, God is so big, that he's so powerful, that he can just snap his fingers and do these crazy, miraculous things. Maybe for some of us, though, there's, there's also a little bit of grief that comes up. If you're honest, you, you look at those things and you, and you think, yeah, that's great and all, but, but, but what about me? Maybe you've been walking around for a while with some wounds, and you've been seeing Jesus work in other people's lives, but, but maybe he doesn't seem to be working in your life. And you stop and you go, well, can Jesus really heal? Can he deliver? Is he good? Is he powerful enough? Can I trust him enough to do what I need him to do in my life? You see, sometimes we end up asking some of these questions. Well, this is what we're talking about today as we wrap up our series. We're talking about healing and deliverance because we've been in the course of this four-week series uh, because the church should be the most caring group of people on the planet. That's, that's what we believe, that, that because of who our God is and what he's like, and as we follow him and become more like him, that we as followers of Jesus, no matter where we are on the planet, we should be the most caring group of people on the planet. We're not always, we don't always get it right. In fact, sometimes we're, we're, we're the opposite of that. Like, let's be honest. But we should be the most caring group of people on the planet. And that's why we've been going through these four weeks. Week number one, we talked about suffering. We got to get a, 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 a gra we got to grasp a biblical understanding. We got to see through a biblical lens of our suffering and, and see what it is. That it's not just something that we have to avoid or run away from, but that in our pain and suffering that there's actually things there that God is wanting to do in us. That because he's so good that he doesn't cause our suffering necessarily, but he actually enters into it and, and leverages it for our good and for our formation. Week number two, we talked about comfort. And we talked about the reality that there's, 
a billion things that we could choose to comfort ourselves, most of them being counterfeit things, things that overpromise and underdeliver every time, things that we chase, things that are easy, things that are quick fixes, things that make us feel good, and then after a while make us feel terrible. But instead of chasing these counterfeit comforts, Jesus himself offers us real comfort. And what is that real comfort? It's him companioning us in our pain. It's him being present. It's him drawing near to us in our pain, that he weeps when we weep, that he's closer than our skin, especially when we are suffering. We have a king who runs toward suffering and pain. And then last week we talked about real, we got real practical and we said, what does it look like for us to be the most caring group of people on the planet? And we talked about three powerful things. Remember what they were? Presence, empathy, and prayer, that every single one of us can be present to people who are suffering. We can, we can empathize with them and we can pray for them. And today we are talking about healing and deliverance. Healing and deliverance, which admittedly are two like pretty churchy words, Right? They're, they're, they're two churchy words that, that can come with a lot of baggage, a lot of questions, a lot of confusion, a lot of uh, misunderstanding. But, but here's, and, and here's the thing. These two words also kind of overlap. So when you think of deliverance, think of being delivered from or set free from harm. And when you think of healing, you, th- you think of restoration or deliverance from being afflicted. And so there's a lot of overlap. And so as you hear me use these words, healing and deliverance today, I'm using them fairly interchangeable. I get that they're different words, but there is a lot of overlap. And the reason why these two words are super important, it's because it's part of who God is. It's part of his character, that he's a God who heals and that he is a God who delivers. And this is important for some of us to really grasp because some of us might say, oh yeah, yeah, I get that. I understand that. But functionally, I don't, I don't live like that. Functionally, I feel like God is a God who ignores and runs away. But no, it's important for us to know the truth that part of his character, part of who he is, his unchanging character is that he is a God who heals and delivers. And so when we think about these stories of Jesus healing, I often think about those people in the crowds that that didn't get healed. You know, usually when he healed somebody, there was a crowd around him, 100 people, 500 people, 5,000 people watching, and and they see this amazing thing happen. And I often wonder how many people in the crowd were going, yeah, that's great, but but what about me? And then we stop and, and realize that even the people who were healed, I mean, think about this, even the people who were healed, the man who was sitting at the pool of Bethesda, do you know how long he was sitting there for, crippled? 38 years. Wrap your mind around that. He was waiting for 38 years before Jesus came by and the woman who was bleeding, who crawled through the crowd to just touch the hem of his robe, 12 years she was sick. She exhausted every other opportunity for healing. She went down every other route. She, she took everybody else's advice about what she, got, what she should do. None of it worked. 12 years later, Jesus snaps his fingers Right? Or the man who was born blind, lived most of his life, all of his life up until that point, and for the first time ever, then he could see with his eyes. You know who else understood deliverance? It was Paul. Not only did Paul understand suffering, like we've talked about over the last few weeks, but he also understood deliverance. You know that three times that we know of Paul was arrested for his faith. 
I mean, just imagine that. And he was arrested for what he was preaching, the gospel of Jesus. He was arrested for that. And one time, he and his buddy Silas were in jail, and it was in the middle of the night. They were chained to this dark, cold jail cell wall. And they were praying, and they were singing praises to God. And one night, guess what happened? An earthquake came. An earthquake happened and it rattled the jail so much so that the jail cells opened up. And not only that, not to say that that was just some natural coincidence, but their shackles unlocked and fell off of their wrists and their ankles and they walked out free men. You see, Paul not only knew what it was like to suffer, but he knew what it was like to be delivered. But guess what? That didn't happen every time. Because we know that at the end of Paul's story, when he was a prisoner, while Nero, the evil emperor, was reigning over Rome, that Paul didn't experience miraculous delivery. In fact, it was under Nero, when Paul was a prisoner, that he was beheaded. He was beheaded because it would have, uh, it, he, he wasn't allowed to be crucified because he was a Roman citizen. That would have been, uh, that would have been too... It would have been too rough for the Roman people to, to crucify Roman citizens, so they beheaded him. Peter, though, he was crucified. So what do you do with that? What do you do with it when, when you experience God's deliverance one time and then the next time you don't, he, doesn't, he doesn't come through? It feels like he's forgotten you. Well, God, where are you at? You're supposed to bring an earthquake. God, you're supposed to unlock these shackles. God, you are supposed to bring deliverance and healing to me and to my situation. What about you? Have you thought about that? What about those wounds that you've been carrying around for years, maybe even decades, and you've been waiting? Maybe you've even given up asking. I'm tired of annoying God with my questions. I'm tired of asking the same question. God, I'm tired of, of asking you to heal me because it's just not happening. What do you do when the person you've been praying for dies? What do you do when your spouse walks out on you? What do you do when, when everything around you falls apart and God doesn't send the earthquake to deliver you? Sometimes we, we conclude that, well, God must not be good. He must not be powerful. He must not be interested in me. He must not, he must not be trustworthy. He, he must not be who he says he is. Maybe that's where you're at today. Well, we're going to talk about healing and deliverance and what it means for us for the rest of our time. But before we do that, before we dive into the text for today, I want to, I want to pray together because I know some of you are carrying those heavy, heavy wounds with you right now. And I believe that God has something for us today. So would you pray with me? God, we come to you today and we thank you. God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your power. And God, specifically, I lift up those to you today who, who are hurting, God, who are in that jail cell. They're shackled to the wall, and they're just waiting. God, for, for some of us, we've given up hope. For some of us, our doubt has grown too much. God, for some of us, we've just stopped asking. God, we hold fast to the truth that you are a God who heals and delivers. And so would you show us what that means today, we pray, and we thank you for it all. And it's in your good name we pray these things. Amen. Ooh, something happened with the lights while we were praying. We should pray again. No. <laughs> 
All right, we've been in the same section of Scripture every week throughout the course of this series. If you haven't been reading it, I would encourage you to do so. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to read it again. And what I want you to listen for this time is what does Paul talk about regarding healing and deliverance? All right, look for those key words. Verse 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And then here it is, verse 10. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Paul says this, God has delivered us in the past. He will deliver us and he will deliver us again. So what does all this mean? What what, what does all this mean? Well, first of all, let's stop and take a look at at your wounds. And you're like, oh wait, great, Chris. Like this is a great, great weekend for me to come to church today. We're just going to pull out all my wounds and don't worry, I'm not going to embarrass you. Nobody has to stand up and and tell us what's going on in you. But but, but let's let's talk about your wounds for a moment. They're, They're unique, aren't they? They're unique to you. They're not only unique, but they're multifaceted. There's lots of different angles, and there's lots of different connections, aren't they? There's usually never one issue that we're dealing with. It's all sort of connected with all these other things, and sometimes it might even feel like this this cluster of, of all these wounds that are going on. And here's the other thing about suffering, is not only does our suffering create wounds, but it also reveals wounds, doesn't it? You ever had that experience where you're going through whatever it is and all of a sudden something bubbles up in your life and you're like, man, I had no idea that was there. I had no idea I was such an angry person. I had no idea these things are coming up. I thought I dealt with these childhood wounds a long, long time ago, but here they are bubbling up during my season of suffering. It not only creates wounds, but it reveals them. And here's the thing. Here's why I bring this up. Just like our wounds are unique, And just like our wounds are multifaceted, healing and deliverance is the same way. What healing and deliverance might look like for you maybe looks different for me. What's going on in your life, what it is that you need the Savior, Jesus, to come into and maybe snap his fingers, which would be really nice if he would sometimes. But that looks different for you, doesn't it, than it does me. So let me ask you, what does healing look like for you? With your wounds, with the, the things that have come up in your mind, what, what does deliverance look like for you? Well, there's two things about healing and deliverance that I'm going to spend the rest of our time on. 
two ideas, two things that you can grasp, two things that, that you can look through this lens and say, here's my suffering, and, and holding these two things in tension at the same time. Here they are. Ready? Your affliction might be your deliverance. This is a tough one. We're going to talk about it in a second. And number two, healing is a journey. Your affliction might be your deliverance. And healing is a journey. So what does this mean? What does this first one mean? In Job chapter 36, you see Job, if you're not familiar with who Job was, he's an Old Testament guy. And a long time ago, he was faithful to God. He served God. And his life ended up being totally destroyed. Satan came to God and asked him for permission to, to attack Job. And, and that's another sermon for another day, another question. I get that. But, but here's the thing. Long story short is that all of Job's family either died or left him. His friends left him. And, and he, he was left with nothing. All of his business, his livestock, his house, everything. I mean, he was, he was utterly destroyed. And this is what his friend comes to him toward the end, his friend Elihu, and he, and he speaks truth to Job. And there's this, you can read it, it's, it's these, there's like three chapters of this speech that he gives to Job. And one of the things he says is this in verse 15 to Job, he says this, he, meaning God, delivers the afflicted by their affliction and he opens their ear by adversity. Now, this is going to be new for some of us because we never, ever, ever think about our affliction actually being our deliverance. Our, our, our pain and our suffering actually being our deliverance from something else. But, but that is what he's talking about here. That the very thing that we want delivered from, the very thing that we wish Jesus would come in and just take away is actually the very thing that is delivering us. In other words, sometimes the very thing that hurts is delivering us from something else much worse. It's like when you were a kid. And if you're like me, you kind of had to learn some things the hard way, not everything, but some things. And your mom says, don't touch the hot stove. And you're like, well, pfft, whatever, don't tell me to do that. I'm going to find out for myself. So what do we do? We touch the hot stove. Guess what? That pain of touching the hot stove is delivering me from any ideas of going and playing around with a campfire. Do you see my point? Sometimes my pain, the, the affliction, the suffering that I'm going through is actually the very thing that's delivering us. And if God were to come in and just snap his fingers and take it away, guess what? He'd be doing us a disservice. Have you ever thought about your affliction that way? Have you ever thought about your pain and your suffering in that way? So what, what is it that you are being delivered from? What is it that your pain, your affliction is actually delivering you from? Well, there could be a million things. Here's a couple of ideas. And we see these in scripture. The first one is this, is arrogant self-reliance. Arrogant self-reliance. Maybe God is delivering you in your affliction from something much worse, which is arrogant self-reliance. Paul, this was his story. A few chapters later, in chapter 12, Paul says this. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of my awesomeness, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord. Does that sound familiar? 
Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, no. (laughs) Well, he said it much nicer. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ might rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions, with calamities, with whatever it is that hurts. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, if there is anybody who could be reliant on his own works, it was Paul. He was the best of the best. He was the brightest of the brightest. He followed the law to a T. He was the, the smartest Pharisee that there was. If there, any, if there was anybody who could be self-reliant, it was Paul. And so God actually gave him a thorn in the flesh, which I love. He never tells us what that was. And I think that was so that we can fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. What is it that you might be going through? And in that thorn in the flesh, could it be that like Paul, that that it's delivering you from arrogant self-reliance, driving you to rely on him instead. The other thing that we see in scripture is in Psalm chapter 119. He says this, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. A few verses later, it says this, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. You see, one of the things that God might be delivering you from is not only arrogant self-reliance, but maybe he's delivering you from sin. In fact, a lot of people who come to faith in Christ for the first time, that when they come to the realization of like, I need someone bigger than me, I, I can't do this on my own, I need someone bigger, is often in the middle of a season of suffering, isn't it? It's, it's often in the middle of a season of affliction and pain. You see, your affliction could actually be delivering you from sin. And not just the very first time you come to faith, but it's, it's an ongoing thing. It's sort of like when gold is, pour, is pulled out of the ground and they put it in a pot and they put it in the furnace to melt it. And what happens? The, the impurities float to the top and they take it off. And then, and then they do it again and they put it in the fire and the impurities come up and they, and they take them out. And then they do it again. And they can, the longer they do it, the, the purer the gold is. Could it be that your Pain and affliction is actually there for the purpose of purifying you. Delivering you from sin. Or is it something else? Maybe, maybe your pain is delivering you from pride. Or your need to control things. Or your need to perform. Or your need to be the best. Or your need to be accepted. Or your, your need to people please. Or w- what is it? And could it be that the pain that you're wanting Jesus to take away is actually there serving a purpose to deliver you from something much worse? And so the, the second thing is this, is that healing is a journey. And, and if you're like me, I hear this and I think, oh, great. Like journeys are hard. Journeys are long. Journeys are, are tiring. Sometimes journeys are painful. Journeys literally go up mountains and down valleys. I mean, all of it. And journeys can be hard. Here's the thing. Does God heal instantaneously? Yes, we've seen it. We've seen it in this church. He can do it. He has done it. He will continue to do it. Should we ask for it? Yes. Should we pray for it? Yes. 
We even have a prayer team here at the, at the church called the Healing and Deliverance Prayer Ministry where they will actually come to you and they will come to your house. They will lay hands on you like the Bible tells us to do. They will anoint you with oil like the Bible tells us to do. And they will ask the Father for miraculous healing like the Bible tells us to do. Does God heal like this? Absolutely. But most of the time, it's a journey. It's a journey. So how do we start that journey? How do we start that journey? Well, the first step is this, is that we allow our pain to drive us to Jesus. Pain is a great motivator, isn't it? It's a great motivator, but too often we allow our pain to drive us the other way, to drive us into our comfort, to drive us into isolation, to drive us into our friends, to drive us wherever it is, and, and we forget about God because, well, God didn't heal me like this, so he must not be good, and so, so we allow our pain to drive us away, but instead we allow our pain to drive us to him, and when we get to him, the second thing is this, is that we just begin to process it with him. We begin to process it with him, which may sound like a weird step, but, but here's how I think about this. this is, if this helps you, great. If it doesn't, just forget about it. But this is how I see it in my mind, is I see on this big front porch and this old man sitting in a rocking chair, and his grandson comes up to him with a box, comes up to him with a box and says, Grandpa, all my toys are broken. All my toys in this box are broken. And, and the grandpa takes this young, young grandson and pulls him up on his lap and says, well, let's see what we got here. And one by one, just begin to pull out each broken toy. And the grandpa starts to ask the grandson, well, tell me about this one. Where'd you get this toy from? What do you like about it? How did it break? What did you feel when it broke? What have you done since this toy's been broken? You see, and over time, taking each thing out of the box and not candy coating it like we do oftentimes, but, but in reality and, and without trying to, to, to make it sound better, but simply taking all of the stuff out of the box, all of those wounds that we have, and just before him, just laying it out all on the table. When was the last time you did that? without feeling like you have to candy coat it or, or make it look acceptable to him or, or, or put fancy words around it. But no, just going to God and saying, God, here's all of my bleeding wounds. Here's where I'm angry. Here's where I'm doubting. Here's where I'm questioning. Here's where I'm being hateful. Here's where I'm angry at you. You see, God can handle that. So we allow our pain to push us to him. We process it with him. And in doing so, we ask for healing. The Bible tells us to ask. To ask. Over and over and over and over again. Continue to ask. He never gets tired of you asking. Go to him. Empty the box and continue to ask. And as you do, it may not be instant, but as we bring about all of our things to Jesus, our wounds, they begin to heal. And slowly, what you'll notice is new little buds of life sprouting up in the middle of the ashes. And the wound doesn't simply go away, but it begins to be transformed. And the pain that's associated with each of those wounds begins to lessen and here's the other thing is that our wounds stay a part of our story. 
They don't just disappear. They just, they stay a part of our story and they actually equip us for better things to come. Judith Haugen says it this way in her, in her book, Transformed into Fire. Some of us think that our histories are too torn, too traumatic, and that we are too weak to be, u- to be of use in the kingdom. But to such believers, God declares, blessed are you. Blessed are you. We who are torn and weak are the people who live the literal definition of compassion to suffer with because we are not in denial about our poverty. And then she continues, our deepest ministry, our most compassionate acts, our most Jesus-like service emerges from the very wounds and weaknesses that have met the balm of Christ. You see, as we unpack it with God, as we ask him for healing, that, that his, the balm of Christ actually brings healing to those areas of our wounds, that God is so good, <laughs> that he's so good that he actually does this and then allows you to impact others because of your wound. Have you ever experienced that? I love, like our Stephen ministry, I love our Stephen ministers, amazing people. If you want to become one, sign up. We're starting a new training this fall. But man, every single one of them have, have wounds. And that's no surprise to us. But we know it's actually a, a joy for us. Why? Because we know that those wounds that have met the balm of Christ will, will turn and translate into powerful ministry in the days to come. In fact, some of our Stephen ministers at one point had Stephen ministers themselves. And now they're serving as Stephen ministers because the balm of Christ has healed those wounds in their hearts. And as we do this, as we begin the journey of healing, our hope solidifies in him. Verse 10, Paul says it this way. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. On who? On what? On on deliverance? On relief of pain? On healing? On uh, on God snapping his fingers? No, no, no. On him we have set our hope. And this word hope isn't just a wish. Like, I really wished that the Bengals could have won the Super Bowl. But no, the word hope here is, is, is an assurance. It's a trust. It's a confidence. What Paul's saying here is, my hope is on him. My hope is what I rely upon. It's what I base everything on. It's what I hang my soul on. It's my anchor point that if, if whatever it is that I'm basing this on, whatever I'm hoping in, if this fails me, guess what? Everything, it's not just a bad day, but everything else fails. Let me ask you this. Where is your hope? And before you give just a, a pat answer about, oh, my hope's in Jesus. No, really. Where is your hope? What have you hung your confidence on, your trust on, in your, in your bank account, in your health and happiness, in your family's well-being? What is it that your hope is based on? You see, everyone hopes in something. Where is your hope? And maybe your affliction is causing you to turn your hope and put it back on Jesus. And so, to wrap all this up, I mean, does God still heal? Does God still deliver? Yes. Yes, he does. And man, that, that should blow us away. That the deepest, 
most bleeding wounds of our hearts, those nightmares that have come to life for us, that that God in his goodness, that he can come and that he restores. It's who he is. It's who our God is. It's in his nature that he heals and delivers. You see, the enemy, the enemy, only thing that he can do is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's it. He can't do anything else. And God, on the other hand, he makes all things new. He restores and he heals and he brings about deliverance to those dead parts of our lives. This is who our God is and why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he do that? Why would he go through all of the effort of creating a universe and watching it fall into sin and then sending his son to come and to save? Not just to forgive our sins. That's a reductionistic view of the gospel. Forgive us of sins, yes, but also to restore, to bring liberty, to bring wholeness, to bring sight to the blind. This is what God does. Don't tell me that God can't heal you. Don't tell yourself that God can't heal you. Maybe that's what you've been telling your soul for the last several years. God can't heal me. God's forgotten about me. He's got better things to do. Don't tell yourself that. Preach the truth to yourself that he is a God who heals, that he works and that he is making all things new, that he has delivered you, that he will deliver you and you can set your hope in him that he will deliver you again. And one day, even if, here's the thing, even if you and I, like Paul, die as prisoners, even if you and I, like Paul, die without seeing the miraculous earthquake that set us free and brought about healing and deliverance. Guess what? He's still the God who delivers. Because one day he will make all things new. One day his work will be complete. One day we will be with him and there will be no more pain. There will be no more brokenness. That God himself will actually break brokenness because sin will be dead can't wait for that day. And those open wounds that you carry with you in your soul will ultimately finally be fully healed and will be with him forever. And I can't wait for that. Can you see that day? Can you see it? Let's pray together. Father, we we come to you today and we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you are the God who heals Father, we thank you that you are the God who looks on us, with, on us with compassion. God, that it's in your very nature to be a God who heals and delivers and restores and liberates and frees. So God, I pray right now for those who are in this room and who are listening online, those who are held captive by something. They have a wound that is too much for them to bear. God, would you in your goodness, in your mercy, in your grace, would you bring healing, whatever that looks like, would you bring healing to their souls? And Father, for those who maybe for the first time are allowing their affliction to turn them to you and put their faith in you, God, would you meet them where they're at? Would you assure them of their belovedness God, that they are children of God that you love so desperately that you died for. 
God, you are so good to us. Would you bring healing into our lives? We need you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Every weekend we spend some time together as an act of worship by remembering the sacrifice that Jesus made on your behalf. Has anyone ever died for you? He did. He died so that you can find life and freedom and newness and, and health and joy and healing and deliverance and liberty. And it's his sacrifice that made this possible. So let's remember together. And the cup. Friends, we're going to stand and respond to our good God by singing. We have people over here. If you'd like prayer, you can just go over here in the room. If you're online, you can click the button and someone will be there to pray with you. All right, let's stand together as we sing.